Amen. Thank you so much, praise band and, and uh, praise team. What a great morning of worship already today. Last week we began a series of uh, messages, and I introduced it on uh, last Sunday. I understand that uh, many of us weren't here last week and, uh, because of all of the snow. But we were talking about abundance, and the theme of this series of messages over the course of the next few weeks is about abundance, God's abundance for us and God's promise and provision for us to experience an abundant life. In John's Gospel, chapter number 10, Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I have come in order that you might have life, and that life, abundant. Meaningful and meaningful and overflowing with the grace and the goodness and the blessing of God. But what hinders us? What hinders us from experiencing this? And there's an enemy that is against us. And there's a culture that is opposed to the very things of God. And a real enemy that wants to do us harm. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in John 10.10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Did you know you have an enemy? Are you all awake today? Do you all know that you have an enemy? And we cannot sleepwalk through this life. Satan is a liar. Satan is a thief. Satan is an accuser. And he comes to steal his purpose, to kill his purpose and intention toward you and to destroy you. He hates you. He hates you. Tell your neighbor, Satan hates you. He is not your friend. He hates you. You see, he disguises himself as your friend. He disguises himself as light and truth. He disguises himself as having your best interest in mind. Oh, isn't that the way he approached Eve in the garden? He despises himself as your friend, as your ally against God. But he is a liar, he is a thief, and he wants to destroy you. He comes to steal and kill and to destroy. He's opposed to God. And this is what Satan wants you to do. He wants to lead you to disobey God in your life. And disobedience, let me tell you what it does to you. It robs you. It robs you of your joy. You think in disobedience you're going to find joy in this life. You will not find joy. You'll find heartache and pain in your life. He robs you of a clear conscience. So your mind is clouded and there's a heaviness in your heart because of your disobedience toward God. There's no joy and satisfaction or peace of mind in the midst of disobedience to God. He robs you of of clear thinking. He robs you of life that God wants you to have and experience. He wants to destroy your life. And so if he can, he'll try to offer you temporary pleasure. But that temporary pleasure has a hook in it. And the hook is death. It does not bring life ever but only death. You see, he wants you to think 
that by through disobedience that you become, 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 can become more like God. Huh. Are you all awake this morning? It does not make you more like God. It separates you from God. <coughs> and so he makes you think that you can judge other people. He makes you think that you can decide what's just and unjust. That you are right in your perspective. That you are sovereign. That you know the truth as well as God knows the truth. But can I tell you something? You don't know the truth like God knows the truth. And he, he, he prevents you. From becoming all that he wants, that God wants you to be. He perverts your thinking. He makes you think that valuing and craving and owning stuff and having a position of power in this life, <coughs> pardon me, somehow will be satisfaction and fill in your life. But no, there's no abundance found there. Interesting story before we get to our text. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, Jesus is going into Jericho. And as he's going into Jericho, there's a long throng of, large throng of people going along with him. And as this throng is going along with him into Jericho, they're celebrating and praising the Lord. And he's just healed a man as he's entering into the city. And, and he is joined with the throng and praising God. And, and so it's... Uh, it's just a, uh, it, it's quite a thing. And, and there's a, a man there that is well known and has a, a reputation. He is very rich and he's a chief tax collector. Do you all know his name? Short little guy. You might have sang about him in Sunday school when you were a kid. And he's a wee little man, all right? And so that means he's short of stature and a little guy. Well, because of the crowd, he can't see Jesus, but he desires to see Jesus. And so he runs on ahead, and what does he do? You know the story. What does he do? He climbs up in a tree, in a sycamore tree, and he, he sits in the tree waiting for this entourage and for Jesus to arrive. And when Jesus comes to the place, he looks up at him, and he knows him by name. He says, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come on down, because I have an appointment with you at your house today. Well, immediately he shimmies down the tree and people are wondering, what about this? This calls into question who Jesus is because this man is a notorious sinner. Do you hear it? They immediately have judged him a sinner. He is unrighteous, but implied in that, is we are righteous. That's what happens when we judge other people. Because when I decide, <coughs> when I decide that I'm going to judge somebody else, then I have set myself up as if I am not under the same judgment. And so, Jesus comes to his house. You know the story. Zacchaeus has changed. His heart is changed and melted. He, he, says, if I've he says, half of all of my assets 
I'm going to give to the poor. And any person that I've cheated or defrauded, I'm going to pay them back fourfold. And Jesus said, salvation is deed come to this house. And this is now a son of Abraham. And then Jesus says these words, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. My friends, that's why Jesus came. He came to heal and to forgive and to save and to take a short little man who had been a Roman tax gatherer and collector and compromised with the Roman government, a cheater and a thief and a Jacob. That's what he was. But God was seeking and saving the lost. Judgmentalism doesn't change his life, but it's an encounter with the living Christ that changes his life. This is what God wants to do in our hearts, in our lives. And now Zacchaeus, for the first time, begins to experience abundance as a son of Abraham in his life. Amen. We all need forgiveness in our life. And today's message is about that. Today I want us to think, how many of y'all need forgiveness in your life? Raise your hand. The rest of you, I need to talk to you right after the service. How many of you here have ever needed somebody to forgive you? How many of you here have ever needed to forgive somebody else? Well, that covers most of us, doesn't it? So we want to look at that today about forgiveness, our need of it, and we need it before God, and we need it with fellow men, but also our need to extend it. So we need to experience forgiveness in our life, but we need to express or extend forgiveness through our life as well. And so we're going to look at a, several passages of Scripture today, and it is really a finding a life of real liberty in your life. Now, if you look with me, we're going to look at some of the Scripture verses today. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18, verse 21, is sort of a lengthy passage. And I want you to look at it with me. And it says, <clears throat> then Peter, by the way, I'm reading today from the English Standard Version. During 2019, I'm going to be preaching from the ESV, the English Standard Version. And so it might read just a little different than yours, but it'll be similar. So follow along with me. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Does that sound familiar question to you? How many times do I have to forgive this person? As many as seven times. Now, by the way, the rabbis taught that you ought to forgive three times. And if it's more than the third time, then you're off the hook. You don't have to forgive. Peter thought to himself, well, Jesus is an extra miler. So he doubled it, threw in one more for good measure, and said up to seven times. Jesus said, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, folks, Peter pulls out his handy-dandy pocket calculator and says, this is 490 times. If I have to forgive somebody 490 times, I mean, you might as well forgive him every time. Perfect. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king 
who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me. I will pay you. And he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, <coughs> they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said, You wicked servant. I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I've had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do every one to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Look with me to Colossians chapter number 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Put on then Bearing with one another, and if you have a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 6, verse 12, a part of this Lord's Prayer that Jay referred to a moment ago. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. At the end of that prayer, he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. He goes on to say, If you refuse to forgive, your heavenly Father will refuse to forgive you. Wow. As we look at this pas these passages of Scripture, today I want us to think about forgiveness and the need for forgiveness in our life and experiencing it. First of all, quickly, we need to consider this, my need to be forgiven. A while ago, we all agreed that we need forgiveness. For the Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. There's none righteous, the Bible says, not even one. There's none that seek God, really, in their life. And the Bible tells us all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. If we say we have no sin, we're just fooling ourselves. We're lying and the truth isn't in us. <coughs> Because we are all sinners. Secondly, sin brings destruction in your life. It brings destruction. Point number B, please. 
Sin brings spiritual destruction, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin pays off in death. When you take a job, you ask a question maybe. What does it pay? What is the reward for me? What profit does it bring? What is its reward to do this job? But sin pays off, and this is the way it pays off. It pays off in death. Ezekiel himself said, The soul that sins will surely die. It's an individual thing. It has a corporate effect. It has a collective effect, but there's an individual responsibility. And when we sin, it brings death and destruction into your life. The, the, the Lord warned Adam and Adam to Eve that the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But Satan is a liar and thief, and the thief and the liar tempted her, and she willfully chose to sin against God. It brought death into her life. Can I say something to you? Little decisions to sin against a holy God bring devastating effect into your life. There's no little sin. The word for sin and Latin word for sin is picare. So sometimes if we say, well, that... that That thing is impeccable. What does it mean? It means without sin, without flaw, flawless, sinless. From the same root word. Also, we use a little word called piccadilly. It's just a piccadilly. It's not a sin, just a piccadilly. Meaning what? It's a small little sin. Well, it seems like a small little sin to eat a piece of fruit in the middle of the garden, but it had damaging and damning effects for all of creation, for all time, until the restoration through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so it's just a little thing. I'm gossiping. I'm not murdering. Oh, are you murdering with your tongue? It's just a little thing. I I just exaggerated the truth. It's not like I stole. Oh, did you? But did you steal away truth? Understand your sin is before holy God. And that is no little matter. And we need forgiveness. It brings destruction. Sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59. Next slide, please. Isaiah 59, verse number 2 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God And your sins have hidden his face so that it does not hear. The distance between you and God is not just a feeling. It's real separation. Because there's enmity. There's an issue. There's a certificate outstanding against you. There's an issue between you and God that must be resolved because of his holiness. And that issue has to be dealt with. And the price of it is death. Pardon me. I cannot earn forgiveness of sins. Amen. You know what? You can't earn it. Amen. You can't. I have a mint up here somewhere. Okay, there. You can't earn your way to heaven. 
You can. Listen, you can't forgive yourself. You can't provide for your forgiveness. No one can. The works of the law will never forgive. Your deeds won't do it. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Ephesians, Paul says in chapter number 2, For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Our salvation is through the provision of God and not your own provision. Amen? So we all need forgiveness. But there's only one perfect sacrifice that can satisfy a holy God, and that's the sacrifice that God provides for all of us. Now, what's God's provision for my forgiveness? First of all, only God can forgive sin. Amen? Isaiah 43, look at verse number 25. I, emphatic, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Who is the one that forgives? It's God and him alone. Secondly, forgiveness is accomplished through Jesus Christ alone. It's in Jesus alone. Amen? Hebrews chapter 9 Verse number 22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel would bring blood sacrifices as an offering for their sin. It was to be an offering of an animal without spot or blemish or any defect. And it was pointing to a perfect, more perfect sacrifice. The Bible tells us that the blood of bulls and goats could never, ever take away sin because these are animals and the sinners are mankind. But God himself would provide an atoning sacrifice for our sin. And he sent a perfect son who became a perfect man who fulfilled the law perfectly, and died in our place, atoning for our sin. Praise God, I'm saved by Jesus and him alone. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 26, verse 28, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sin. Our sin is found, and our forgiveness is found in the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross, not your works, but the work of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God, for, for, our, for our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. It's in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. That is the only way we can be forgiven. But it must be accepted into your life, received. It's a free gift. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our forgiveness is found in Jesus. Amen. Do we need forgiveness? There's only one way, and it's in Jesus Christ. 
Do you ever need somebody to forgive you? Have you ever sought forgiveness in your life? Wondered if you'd ever find it? There's only one place for your eternal forgiveness, and that's in Jesus. Amen? You see, we are that man. We are that man that owned 10,000 talents that we could never pay back. But God has provided for us in Jesus Christ. Amen. There's a story. Simon Wiesenthal was a concentration camp survivor during World War II. A Jewish man. He was an inmate in a concentration camp. He wrote a piece called Sunflower. And it was about an event that took place in that concentration camp. He was on a work detail, and while he was on the work detail, he was at a medical facility where they had a makeshift hospital for army soldiers in the Nazi army. (coughs) And Wiesenthal had gone into the, into, to do, to do a clean, was working with others in cleanup as inmates in this concentration camp. And a guard came up to him, a staff member, said, Are you a Jew? He said, Yes. He said, Then I need you to go with me. And so he took him to the bedside of a young soldier, 21 years old. His name is Carl. And Carl was severely bandaged, uh, had been severely injured in a bomb blast. And all of you could see of his face was his nose and his mouth and his ears. And everything else was bandaged up. And this poor, pitiful Nazi soldier laying there in the bed was in excruciating pain. And he said to him, uh, he, he said, are you a Jewish person? He said, yes. He said, I've got to tell you a story if you'll listen to me. He said, I know death is everywhere and I'm going to die soon. But I've got to tell you what I've done. I've got to confess something horrible that I've done. I can't die in peace the way that I am. Please listen to me. I grew up in childhood. My father was a social democrat. He said, and, and, uh, uh, and my mother was a, a, a devout Catholic. He said, but I joined the socialist movement and I joined the Nazis and the youth movement and, and, and then I joined the SS And my parents have forsaken me because of that. I was sent to Russia and I was fighting in Russia and we were headed toward Crimea. And when we were in a Russian village near the town square, there was gathered a group of people outside of a house. And it was determined that they were all Jewish. And so what we did was we got some of the fuel that we had on board with us. And we put gasoline all inside of the house and we forced these Jewish people into the house. We rounded up some other Jewish people and forced them into this two-story house. And then we barricaded and locked the door and put a machine gun outside of it. And we pulled our hand grenades and lobbed them onto the building. And they said, I stood and I watched is a man held his baby in his arm outside through a window. 
and his wife standing at his side. And I saw as his clothes caught on fire. And I saw him hold his hands over his baby's eyes. And I saw them jump through the window on fire and died in front of me. And all of those people in the house burned to death. He said, when we were in Crimea fighting in the middle of the night, I couldn't get that image out of my mind. And in a vision, in the middle of the fighting, this young man was standing there with flames on him and the baby with flames all around the baby and his wife standing behind him. And he said, I knew I couldn't shoot him because it was a vision. He says, I have no peace of mind. It's all I can think about. And I know that I'm going to die. But since you're a Jew, I need to confess this to you. And I'm asking you to forgive me for the crime I've committed against you and your people. I cannot die in peace if you will not forgive me. Will you forgive me? And Simon Wiesenthal refused. Refused to touch him or take his hand or acknowledge him. And he walked out. And the next day, he was told that Carl had died. Wiesenthal then becomes haunted himself by refusing to forgive and questioning whether it was right to forgive or not to forgive and asking people, what should I have forgiven him or not forgiven him? This is a huge struggle. I'm not talking about the kind of forgiveness that we have to I'm I'm just talking about I'm not talking about a little slight or somebody didn't speak to you. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you've been betrayed or hurt or injured. How do I find forgiveness and how do I give forgiveness to others? Wouldn't you admit with me there are times that we need forgiveness? We need to ask God. We ask other men to forgive us. We've asked God, but we need others to forgive us. Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses this. Listen to what he says. If you're offering your gift at the altar, that means you're coming to the place of worship. And there, remember, your brother has something against you. You're bringing your prayers before God, your worship before God. And you remember, your brother has something against you. What must you do? Leave your gift before the altar. Then go and then be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. God says, get the relationships right. Your worship, so it will be pleasing to me. Get the relationship right. The fill in the blanks are stop, go, reconcile, return. And so this is, this is what we're to do. Now, <clears throat> you say, how do I ask for forgiveness? Good question. You can write these down. They're not on the slides. How do I ask for forgiveness? First of all, very practically, pray before you go and ask somebody about forgiving you. For some of you, you need to pray and fast about it. Secondly, humble yourself. Don't go in arrogantly that you're in. No, when you have hurt somebody else and they're offended, then you go to them 
You pray for them. You pray for God to guide you. And you humble yourself. Thirdly, be honest. Don't try to spin it. Don't try to make it more flowery. Don't make it more beautiful. Don't manipulate. Don't use tears or emotions. Be honest. Fourthly, be contrite. Be contrite. That means be sorrowful, genuinely, that there's been a hurt in the relationship. Let there be contrition. Number five, confess your wrong. Confess it. This is what you say. When I did this, I was wrong. I think we need to practice it. So I want you to say these words with me out loud. When I did this. Some of you are refusing already. Do it again. I was. Okay. You choked on the wrong part. When I did this. I was wrong. Now see you can do it can't you? There's no but behind I was wrong. If you put a but behind it, you've negated it. But. Because that but normally moves you toward blame shifting or excusing. And that is not how you seek forgiveness from someone else. Acknowledge, number six, acknowledge the hurt that it's caused. When I did this, I was wrong. And I know that it must and did hurt you. And then you ask for mercy and forgiveness. Now, I know some of you got some questions, don't you, right now? I see it. Pastor, can we ask some questions about this right now? Well, let me, number one, maybe you have this question, what if it gets worse if I try to do this? Sometimes it might. But you can't microwave forgiveness. And just because you come right and say it right doesn't mean that it happens right then. You can't control that. What if they refuse to forgive me? Well, if they refuse to forgive you, then say, I didn't really mean it and beat the heck out of them. (laughs) Is that right? No. That's not the answer. Because that just exposes that you weren't really right. So you humbly do your part. And here's what you do. 
leave room for God's grace to work in their life. And one other word of advice. I know this is very practical, but I think it's hugely important, so stay with me. Leave the door open for them later to respond to what you've said. Their response may not be immediate or today, and sometimes it's weeks or months or years later. But don't close the door for restoration. Some of you might ask, but pastor, what if they're dead and gone? And I suggest maybe one of the things you could do is write them a letter. And verbalize your feelings and what you would say to them if they were alive. I would suggest to you to talk to a counselor, a pastor, a spiritual-minded, biblical-minded friend who in confidence would listen to you and pray with you. God knows your heart. Number four, now we need to talk about for a few minutes my need to forgive other people. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, Peter asks the question, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus said seven times seventy. And he tells a parable about this king. And this king has servants, and some of them owe him great debts. This one, and it's, he owes a debt. Now, look in the Bible in chapter 18. What's it say? He owes 10,000 what? Talents. How much are 10,000 talents? Maybe if you have a more modern translation, it might say millions and millions of dollars. He owed a debt that is... A talent was the highest denomination of currency in, in, these, in the first century. It's fluctuating on exactly how much a talent was worth. But 10,000 talents is an astronomical number. It's incomprehensible. It would be impossible to ever pay back that kind of debt. One scholar said 10,000 talents was more than the total tax revenue of all of Galilee in the first century. (coughs) Pardon me. You could never pay it. He says, if you'll have mercy toward me, be patient with me, then I'll repay it all. He could never repay it all. He's just trying not to get killed or go to prison. And it says that the king felt compassion for him that he released him from the debt and he forgave him everything. So what does this man do who's experienced this overwhelming forgiveness? You see the incongruity of this. You see the, 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 you see the hypocrisy of this. Jesus, as he's telling the story, they're all, what happens next? And he goes to a fellow slave that owns him a hundred denarii. A denarii is one day's wage. So he owes a little over three months worth of debt. 
And what does he do? He grabs a hold of him. He puts his hands around his neck. He begins to shake him. And he says, I want you to pay up every cent right now. And he says the same words to him that he had just uttered a short time before. Have patience with me. And I will repay you all. But he refused. And he throws him into prison and says, you'll stay there until every cent is paid. He's exacting. He's judgmental. Unforgiving. The servants run and they tell the king what has happened. Fellow servants. And what do those fellow servants do? What does the king do? He demands that he come. And he stands before him and gives an account to him about how he's treated a fellow slave. He says, I forgave you all of this, and you refuse. You've been judgmental. You've been condemning. You will be turned over to your tormentors. In this, Jesus summarizes it by saying, so will your heavenly Father. Do to you. If you do not forgive men their trespasses. Wow. How sobering it is. Folks, we need forgiveness. But we need to extend forgiveness. All of us. God has forgiven us and we should forgive others. Ephesians 4, verse number 32. Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Would you quote verse 32 with me? Let's say it together. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgive like Jesus. Forgive because Jesus has forgiven you. Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 25 And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that the Father who also who's in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. I know this forgiveness subject is hard and difficult. I can hear, yeah, but you don't know what they did to me. Yeah, but you don't know. You don't know. I know. I don't know. But I do know our condition, all of us, need forgiveness. And all of us need to give forgiveness. And when you refuse to forgive, it isn't hurting them. It's killing you. It's robbing you of abundance in your life. The joy and the life that God wants you to have. Refusal to forgive, listen my friends, this is so important, brings torture into your life. Now some of you got some questions, I know. Well, what if they don't ask me to forgive them? Do I have to still forgive them? There's some people who say, no, you don't have to. And they'll say, that's because, because God's that way. 
God doesn't forgive us unless we ask, so you don't have to forgive unless they ask. The only problem with your thinking is, pardon me, just when a moment, silence me here. Good, okay. The only problem with that thinking is, you're not God. So your perspective is not pure or perfect. And when you've judged that a person has been wrong toward you, and you've judged that and judged them, your judgment isn't perfect or true or in any regard. Secondly, you leave judgment to God. That's his business. Leave room for the wrath of God. When they curse you, you bless them. And you watch God work in their life. Amen? Well, what if they don't think they did anything wrong and I'm hurting? Well, I understand. Listen close to me. You own the hurt, don't you? It's your hurt. They did something, but you, you feel the hurt, right? You own the pain. Right? And what you do, and this is what Christians do, looking to the cross of our Savior. Jesus owned my pain. Jesus took my pain. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. There was a vicarious suffering. He, he's, he's suffering in our place. He's suffering not for something he did, but something that we have done. There's, we take up our own cross and we follow him. We suffer too. And so when we're persecuted or dealt difficultly with, and when people malign us and say all kinds of evil against us, he said, bless are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men persecute you, insult you, say all manner of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice, therefore, and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Wow. The kingdom is different than this world. And it's liberating. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, how do I deal with this? Number one, acknowledge your hurt. Acknowledge your hurt. I hurt. This hurt me. I acknowledge it. Number two, evaluate your own life. How God has forgiven you. Evaluate your own life. Is your li- how, many of y'all, how many of you have your life perfectly together? Would you please raise your hand? None of us. Haven't we all screwed up? Haven't we all hurt somebody in our past? We all have. Haven't, haven't we ever done something that we are embarrassed about? It's bitter, that was wrong, was hurtful. and that I, Yeah. So evaluate your own life. Do not just judge lest ye be judged. Listen to what Jesus said. By the same judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with the same measure that you measure, it will be measured to you. Do you want God to judge you the way you judge other people? 
Ooh, I don't. I want mercy. So isn't there something inconsistent? God, I need mercy. I'm not going to forgive you. That doesn't work. Evaluate your own life. See, focus on Christ's forgiveness. Focus on the cross. Focus on all that God has forgiven you. Focus on, on his amazing grace toward you. Next, release the offense. Here's the person that did this offense. The offense is real, but I've got to release this offense so it doesn't have a hold on me. Stay with with me. But release it from them. You say, are you letting, I'm letting them, Pastor, we're letting them off the hook. They're getting by with it. They're not getting by with anything. God's in charge. But you're not the judge. And what you do is say, God in heaven, what happened here is wrong. I feel hurt and injured. But God, they're yours. You made them. You created them. You love them. They are made in your image. What they did was hurtful to me, painful. I still feel the effects. But God, they are your child. They are your son or daughter. You made them. You created them. God, you will deal with them. And God, I am not their judge. God, I take this pain and I release them from it. And I release them to you. And I will focus on loving you and treating them with respect. I may not go camping with them. I may not go on vacation with them. But I'm getting loose. I am not going to be tortured with bitterness in my life. Amen? Does this make sense? All right. Release the offense. E, refuse to become bitter. Don't become bitter in your life. Brings ruin into your life. Don't become bitter. Amen? Bitterness deep in your life, like a deep root with many tentacles, It affects all of your life. And finally, leave room. Leave room for God to work. Leave room for the wrath of God. It's been over 10 years ago now. It was just outside Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Y'all remember... Many of you will. It was a one-room schoolhouse in an Amish community. Do you all remember? And a crazed young man, gunman, barricaded himself inside the school and began to open fire. The boy's name, the young man's name was Charles Roberts or Charlie Roberts. On that day, he killed five Amish schoolchildren injured five others and then turned the gun on himself and killed himself. How the Amish responded to that, responded to that caught the attention of all of America, really. Some could not understand it and they wondered about it and still do to this day because they chose to forgive the shooter. 
and come near to his family and help them. Terry Roberts was driving her car that day, and she had gotten a call to hurry home that there was something terrible happened. As she had the radio on in her car, a report came over the radio that there had been a shooting at the Amish school. And when she pulled into the driveway of their home, her husband was standing there in a state trooper. And when she got out of the car, she walked toward her husband. Her husband was ashen-faced. And he said, Charlie, Terry, Charlie, Charlie did it. Our Charlie did it. How will we ever face this community? They were tortured in the hours and days by guilt and pain and shame and confusion and deep grief. Their son had died, self-inflicted. But he died after he committed a heinous crime. How would they go forward? How could they even grieve? The funeral service that week was a private service. But after the private service, they went to a cemetery. And as they were carrying the body to the grave at the cemetery, the Roberts family stood there. And all of a sudden, from the side of the cemetery, Amish people, in wave after wave, walked toward them. Over 40 people surrounded them in like a crescent. And as they put their son's body into the earth, the love was emanating for them, from them, toward them in their grief. They were choosing to forgive. They were choosing to love in their grief for others who were grieving and even the family of the one who perpetrated the crime. One of the children that was shot that day was a young girl named Rosanna. Rosanna now is old, more than 15 years old. Rosanna was most severely injured, a brain head injury. She's on a feeding tube. She's in a wheelchair. She's not able to speak. She has terrible seizures. But Terry, Charlie's mother, has become dear friends with Rosanna's mother. And one or two days a week, she sits with her. She bathes her. She washes her hair. She reads to her. She sings to her. She loves her. And her family loves Terry, the boy that committed the crime, and their family. She said, often when I'm brushing her hair, I think she knows who I am. Terry is now 65 years old. 
She said, I'll never forget the devastation our son has caused. But she said, one of the Amish fathers said to me the other day, Terry, none of us would have ever chosen this. But the relationships that we've built through it, you can't put a price on that. Terry has experienced God's forgiveness. And she said it's been a healing bomb from God for me and my family. She said this is the message that the world needs to hear. My friends, this thing about forgiveness touches all of us. And we'll never know the abundance, the abundance of the life of Christ until we have forgiven and been forgiven in our life. Father in heaven, I thank you for the truth of your word, so powerful, so true. And I pray that today, that, Lord, we would let you have your way in our heart. and We would respond. We would confess our sins. We would forsake our sins. That we would seek forgiveness. Father, we have a way of corrupting truth and trying to change it and spin it and make it fit our problem. God, forgive us and help us to live according to your word by your spirit and the example that we have in our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.